Dare we open Pandora's mystic box? To every generation, a slayer is born, except this time, there were six. This is the dimension of imagination. You are entering the mystic zone. Do you ladies see that aura? Something wonderful this way comes. Welcome to the Mystic Order podcast. We are the Mystic Order of East Alabama fiction writers. I'm Mystic Margie, the Mystic Illuminator. I'm Mystic Marion, and I'm the Dog Whisper Mystic. I am Mystic Joanne, and I am the Mystic Defender. And I'm Mystic Mary, I'm the Nebulous Mystic. Okay, well today's theme is animals. And we're going to start out talking about favorite pets that we've had. And anybody want to jump in here? We always had pets in my household. Of course, when you have 10, 12, 13 children, you know, an animal or two, it doesn't matter. But one of the most unusual pets I had was a wild dog. I was the only person who could get near him. Brown dog is what we called him because he didn't have an official name. Um, But my brother, Charlie, and I were the only ones who could get anywhere near him. My grandfather came up and was like surprising me, was going to tickle me. The dog tried to attack him. So that probably was the most unusual pet we ever had. But Joanne, how did you come into having a wild dog as a pet? Um, He wandered up, just like most of our pets wandered up. We lived on a kind of a dirt road and near an airport, and the people would dump their pets there. And, you know, wandering children, we couldn't let a, a pet just be there. We'd have to take him home, and he followed me home. I fed him, and voila. You have a dog. Of course. And even though he was fearless about people, he was afraid of thunder. Like one of Marion's puppies. Like many, many dogs. Yeah. Afraid of thunder. But that was the only time he came into the house when we, we knew a storm was coming when he would start scratching at the door. So. Well, I have had a lot of pets. This is Mary, and my um, my dad was a an animal guy, and we didn't have any rules about pets. Sometimes when I get bored and I can't sleep at night, I start listing all the animals we've had, and they include normal things like dogs and horses, ferrets, cats, birds. Normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also, um, we've had possums and beavers, squirrels, snakes, turtles, numerous rodents, orphan birds, and... One of my favorite pets was our pet crow, and he we raised him um, from a I don't know what the word is a fledgling. You couldn't he didn't have any wings or feathers. My dad stole him out of a tree, and since my dad's not living anymore, we can go ahead and tell this story because it's totally against the law. He put tree climbers on and went up and stole a baby crow from a nest, and it imprinted on him, and that means that it thought it was a human. And so we had, as well as our dog Bowser, we had our pet crow Roscoe, and he followed us all around the neighborhood and went on trips with us. He went to the beach with us. He was just like having a little a little dog. He would steal my shiny barrettes and hide them, and we would tussle over them. <laughs> he was definitely one of my favorites. But there, there's a great photo of you with Roscoe. I think it was in the paper. It was. Sure. In fact, former Mystic Emeritus Judy Nunn wrote the article about our pet Roscoe, and that was back when I was only 12, so... The circle just keeps on tightening up. I know. My favorite, one of my favorite movies is The Secret of Nim, and there is a a crow 
character in that, and he's always talking about getting sparklies. He goes, women yeah. love sparklies, and so Roscoe loves sparklies. Absolutely. <laughs> I just love that. Well, my I've had lots of dogs throughout my life, but um, one of my favorite dogs was our dog Seymour. And I wrote a story about him in our ploy of cooking. Seymour had quite the appetite, but he was he was a wonderful basset for sure. <laughs> um, but Marion, do you have any comment about dogs? I could not anymore claim a favorite dog than <laughs> one of you could claim a favorite among your children. True. <laughs> Other than Gail and I, who had the good sense to stop at one. <laughs> well, I also had cats, and that was really my favorite animals were cats. Um, we had a pair of Siamese cats that we bred for a while, Choo Choo and Chi Chi. Chi Chi was the female. And although Choo Choo was laid back, Chi Chi was very territorial, and again, the story, we had the same house where we kept all the children, and, I mean children, <laughs> oh yeah, and animals, um, and if a dog wandered up, we did not immediately protect. Chi Chi and Chi Chi would play uh, tag team on the dog, they would corner it and just start tearing it up. I've never seen, but I've, apparently Siamese are very... Mm-hmm aggressive I and not afraid. Yeah, I saw and Lady in the Tramp, too. We are Siamese, yeah. if you please. <laughs> <laughs> we are Siamese, well, these, if you don't please. Meow, meow, meow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently they are true. <laughs> but they, uh, they were good cats, except that, you know, you just didn't come wandering up if they were around. I had a friend in, in American literature that I studied with who had a Siamese named McGee, and that cat would perch across the apartment while we were studying and stare at me to make me as uncomfortable as it possibly could. And then when I least expected it, it would glide across the apartment and land on me with all of its claws. She knew so, you were a dog person. I guess so. She was just she a Siamese. Cert- she certainly ensured that I would continue to be. Well, one of my cats, another one of my cats, whenever I had a gentleman caller. If we were in the parlor, sitting by side by side, would always make sure that she wandered herself and she would wiggle herself in between us, so that you know nobody got too close. <laughs> well, if there are any um, youngsters listening to our podcast, I just want to add that sometimes a, a nice, cute animal can be a really great way to attract other youngsters. My brother and his friends used to walk around the Auburn University campus with baby squirrels, and even though they were only in high school, the college girls swarmed around, which brings me to a quick story. Yesterday, or we were, or so, I was helping one of my daughters move into a new house, and we were emptying all these boxes out, and lo and behold, we turned around, and there was this gorgeous boxer standing there just wagging her little rump stump and she was so cute and we got down on the floor and petted her and hugged her and said where do you live you beautiful little boxer so she turned around and tried it out and we met her owner whose name started with an m and right about that time my other daughter texted a friend to tell her where we were and she said "Ooh, watch out for that man whose name starts with an m he's a creeper (laughs) so we think he might be using his beautiful boxer as a lure um, so we got to be real careful. Well, you talk about squirrels. I, when Jimmy and I lived in an apartment right after we were married, he was out talking with one of the other people in the complex, and a baby squirrel ran up his pant leg. Ooh. 
It now, might have been one of mine. I was going to say, not the outside of his pant leg. <laughs> but we still adopted that squirrel, and we had him for probably about two years. Squiggy is what we called him, real original. Squiggy the squirrel. But Squiggy went to live with a vet student after we... Um, after we moved, couldn't take Squiggy with us. But you know, you can't housebreak squirrels. No. No. Well, I just left outside. my bedroom window open at night and they would run in and out well, and, and run up your legs. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to say that my grandson just got a new pet, a little gecko. Mm. He went to a nature camp and the first day of camp they just turned over rocks. And so he turned over a rock with a lizard and he wanted to keep it, but his dad said, no, we don't need to keep that lizard. But he, Ben Song is his, my grandson's name. He pestered his dad until he went out and bought him a gecko. Oh, my. And so he has a little gecko, and he named it, has orange on its tail. So its name is Carrot. Nice. <laughs> and it lives in a little cage and eats crickets. Well, yeah. <laughs> Just don't let those crickets out at night. They'll keep you up well, all I had night pet long. crickets. <laughs> Well, you shouldn't get around. <laughs> Did they keep you up all night long? I loved it. The males <laughs> would make those cricket noises. I kept them in little boxes under the bed and put wet cotton balls for their water and dry oatmeal for their food. And it, on Sundays, we'd take them out in the yard and let them play and then put them back in their clear boxes. <laughs> we had um, Davy Cricket. I wish I could think of all their names. They Jiminy. Jiminy Cricket, Davy Cricket. We had lots of adorable little crickets, and I loved getting the males because they would sing all night. Well, you're going to love the book Cricket in Times Square, I and do. nobody dies. Yeah, I do love the book Cricket in Times Square. Well, you trained them to come back to the box? We just sat close and put them between us, and they would look around startled at first and then they'd hop a little bit and we would keep the circle kind of closed until we decided it was time to put them back in their box. They seemed, I mean, they didn't seem disappointed. We made, gra we put grass and dirt in there and dry oatmeal and fresh cotton balls with water. They're auspicious. <laughs> they are. I just have never heard of actual pet had a, crickets. No, it was Audrey Hepburn had a had a pet cricket, and when she came to this country, I hope I'm getting the story right, that it was Audrey Hepburn, I think it was, they took her cricket from her at <gasps> Customs and broke her heart. Oh, no. Which what is, horrible which people. just shows this kind of behavior has been going on for a long time. <laughs> of course, you know, that you can bring as many um, Japanese beetles as you want into the country <laughs> to ravage your fruit trees. Yeah. Uh, yes, we've got that problem with roses right now. But, mm -hmm. well, listen, I think it's time for our, our five-minute mystic moment. Oh. If anyone has a mystic moment or something you're working on just for a five second or, you know, a short. Is it five minutes or five seconds? It's five minutes into the program is when we're supposed to say a mystic moment, <laughs> and, I think. And oh. I never fully understood what the mystic moment is. Let's is take a minute to clarify the mystic on? moment. Is it something we're working on or is it something we just want to tell? I think it's a little bit of both. It's something that you've experienced. As like, a mystic. Mary? I think as a mystic, we get to make it up as we go. Yeah. My thought was um, that we would tell something that we were doing. And so I wanted to share something that I'm doing, and it will only take 30 seconds. I signed up for the 
memoir edition of 40 Days and 40 Rights, which is lots of fun. If nobody's ever done that, I highly encourage it. And I'm also, coincidentally, writing a series of essays on animals who have had an important influence on me. Wow, that sticks with a theme. What how serendipity, that's wonderful. Uh, Very serendipitous. Well, I've been working on a mystic logo, and I've gone to all these logo sites and done just a bunch of different designs that are really easy to do, but uh, we'll be looking at those, hopefully. Uh, Marion has gotten back to me on a couple she likes, but that should be there. Well, I'm writing my column for the newspaper, which is no new thing. It's something I do once a week, and I'm open right this minute for a topic for this week's column, which is due in the morning. Oh, Oh, why don't you write it about the Beatles? Maybe I will. I think, wasn't there um, an incident when they showed up at your daddy's store? There was an incident when I was told they had shown up at my daddy's (laughs) store. Daddy got me every April Fool's Day, and I believed him for many, many years. Well, perception is reality. Yeah, and when you first wake me up in the morning, I'm pretty willing to believe anything you tell me as long as you leave me alone. But when he said, the Beatles are at the store, I hopped out of bed like a flash. (laughs) (laughs) That was tricky. Yeah. (laughs) just so hopeful i'm not doing anything creative i guess maybe it will be creative um but i'm doing something for work right now that requires a lot of research and writing so she lies like a rug she's got about 14 15 novels she's working on right now when i have these these real life like gotta do it i don't work on my novels so much so yeah but i've seen your work and I've peered over your shoulder, and you're not taking notes on what's going on in that courtroom. You're gathering things for your novels. You don't fool anybody. Well, guys, any more mystic moments? Okay. Um, well, okay, that's mystic moments for this session. But <laughs> let's, let's move on and talk about some facts about animals or some myths about animals. And um, I've read this recently, read this great book that I recommend to everyone. It's called The Truth About Animals by Lucy Cook. And it is fantastic. And I will share some stories if we have time, but um, I'll defer to others of you to talk about. Uh, animal myths and facts. Well, those, I was going to say, those of the mystics that are animal lovers, um, like Mary and like Marion, and um, they know, I think, facts and stuff about animals that we're just now finding out about how observant they are and how, um, how what's the word I want? They know things. Sentient. Emotionally, sentient. emotionally intelligent. Exactly. Um, right now, I don't know if you guys know, but Auburn University at Montgomery are training dogs, the sniffer dogs. Yeah, um, they are trained to sniff out bombs. They're trained to sniff out different things like drugs. And there is a shortage because the government, they used to be the government would pay to have these dogs trained. But with so much you know, security being so much in the forefront now, dogs can smell things that you know, we never even thought. There's no other way to detect. Dogs can tell if someone is going to have a diabetic episode. Mm -hmm. Dogs can tell if someone is going to have a seizure just by their smell. Do you happen to know that I had a dog who could alert me when Little Star was going to have a seizure? No, I I didn't know that. I think Mary knew that. Little Star and Big Star were (coughs) siblings, 
and Big Star would wake me up in the middle of the night, and I'd say, go back to sleep, Big Star. And I would finally turn on the light and look, and Little Star would be starting to have a seizure, and it happened many, many times. Well, it's just wonderful. And they were saying that, you know, this is a a non-invasive way to be able to you know, go into airports or go into um, hospitals even, you know, to be able to uh, see that, you know, just for security reasons. But it it is remarkable. And I don't know if you know it. We have, you know, you see these police dogs and you think, oh, big, mean police dog. But the way they train them is that they'll put down drugs and, and they'll hide it and they'll make a game out of it and they get a treat if they find it. So I'm forced to interject something here. What's that, Gail? Uh, the queen has been running the uh, machine, but this I did want to tell about coming back from Germany. Yes. And the beetle at the airport that caught me with a banana. <laughs> and I was marched through agricultural sin line. <laughs> and of course, when this beetle was going around smelling everyone's suitcase, I was sure it wasn't me. That's but, right. But it was. And they incinerated my banana right there on the spot. And the <laughs> one thing I will say is one ought to bring a banana into the country because I got through customs before everybody else. And I said to my husband, who was totally unamused, and he kept asking me, why did I have a banana? Well, I eat them. <laughs> but... Airplane food sometimes is not my, the best. I said to my husband, I'm going to do this every time because it got us through customs quicker than everybody else. And he said, they wrote your name on a list. You're going to be like <laughs> banana arrested. Was this before or after he was kept out of Mexico? This is before. Okay. Oh, yeah. I think we now understand they got the wrong uh, language. Someday on the podcast, I'll tell about my husband being deported from Mexico. But in the meantime, I'm giving this microphone back to Mystic Mary. Well, and I would not give kudos to a dog for smelling a banana because they are pretty pungent, especially if they're very ripe. Well, the dog was trained to smell the banana so that fruit diseases couldn't be brought into the country. Or maybe, I mean, my guess is because I had all my beads taken away from me coming into coming back in from Guatemala because they said we could bring... Um, insects into this country that would destroy our crops beads. off the beads because the beads were made out of beans and I also had poison beans confiscated when I came back from Guatemala at the airport. Dogs didn't get them. Guatemala, I'm going to ask you why you had poison beans. Because the children in Guatemala were selling them. They had made necklaces out of them. Oh, okay. But when I got to New Orleans, New Orleans said these these are poisonous and took them from me. Oh. So I'm guessing that either the banana, either there was a history of people shoving drugs into a banana or that bananas had some kind of disease that we Anything could, organic. <clears throat> that we could bring into the United States. I had someone get stopped for an apple. And, yeah. and they tried to explain that they had gotten it on the airplane. You know how they make you a little lunch? But they weren't listening. You could not bring any produce into the country. I want to give a, a shout-out before we leave the service dogs to a group called Alabama Service Dogs, or actually it's Service Dogs of Alabama. And they do some extremely important work, and they make use of our prisoners to train the dogs. And so for some of the prisoners, it's their first paid job, and they're very, very selective about who trains these dogs. 
So it's win-win. They train the dogs. They also work with the kids at Auburn University. You can actually take a class called Puppy Playtime and get credit for it. And these dogs are used as service dogs, as companion animals, and also for the things we've been talking about. But also, they use them in schools. Every single piece of research about dogs in service comes to the same, is, you know, says the same thing. They're good. They're just good. As long as the dogs are treated well, which we did not do with the war dogs that we sent to Nicaragua, I mean to Vietnam. Well, these are these are different right. dogs. I know they're like different dogs. All of Elmore County, they put a dog in every school, and every single thing got better. That's everything. I, well, Test scores went up. Behavior problems went down. And I will tell you that those prisoners, they've done research, those mm-hmm. prisoners who work with the dogs become much more empathetic, yes. and their recidivism rate yes. just drops to zero. So if you're looking for something to do with that little extra money you have at the end of every month, or you have to do one of those things at work where they let you wear jeans on Friday if everybody gives a little money away, Service Dogs of Alabama, thank you. Well, I don't work for them. I had a friend, too, who was going through a really, you know, bad divorce, and he took his, his like, I guess about four-year-old son to a counselor, and the counselor worked with a dog. And so he would go out and play with the dog, and the child would talk to the dog and tell yeah. him mm-hmm. all of his problems, which he wouldn't share with just another adult because, you know, he trusted the dog, which I think is pretty good idea too a friend of mine who works in the da's office her job one of her jobs besides prosecuting people in court is to take care of their service dog and she brings that dog home with her every night but for the same reason children who have to be in court for one reason or another you know they have the dog there and they even bring the dog in court if the child needs some extra you know comfort and they said they're great Well, you guys, um, I know that I've been reading books about all kinds of animals because I'm fascinated by them. And one book that really uh, opened my eyes to a really strange animal was The Soul of the Octopus by Cy Montgomery. And um, it's all about octopuses, which I learned in the first first paragraph of the book because octopus comes from the Greek, so it wouldn't be octopi. But anyway, uh, <laughs> anyone know about octopuses? Were you going to talk about them, Joe? Well, I do know about them because they're, I'm fascinated by them. They have not, they've underestimated the intelligence of the octopus. You know, they have shown, they've done studies where they'll take something like a, a mollusk that the octopus really loves and put it in a jar and in front of it, the octopus, they'll show them how it got in the jar. And the octopus will open the jar. I mean, my dog can't yeah. do that. <laughs> they can solve multi-step problems. Because yeah. sometimes they have to figure out how to get to the jar. All the cephalopods are very smart. And soon we'll quit eating them. Good. I've well, quit since I read that book. <laughs> I, you I know, not I think even we've underestimated ever. the intelligence of every animal except the human, and I think we've overestimated <laughs> that. I, I completely mean, agree that's, with that's you, Marion's thought for the day. And you can run on that platform, and I'll vote for you. And that is even more remarkable because the octopus brain is only as big as a bird's. But they have three hearts, so they make up in heart <laughs> what they lack in brain. And they also can taste and feel through all their little suckers, so they can know who you are, and they can camouflage themselves. They have thousands of different little ways they can turn their skin to look like a coral or a, a you know, blend in with the ocean so that you can't even see them. Back when I was scuba diving, I witnessed that. 
I don't know how to describe it because it wouldn't be that the octopus would turn all blue or all gray. Parts of his body would turn color to match whatever he was in front right. of. Right. They yeah. have little photophores in their cells, oh, which wow. control these things, the chromatophores, which open and close different cells with different pigments. And not only can they match colors, they match textures, which is completely, completely fascinating. And I've never been scuba diving to see that, but I've spent a lot of time when I could have been doing something else, Googling YouTubes of great pacific octopus or various forms of the octopus's camouflage and one of my favorites is an octopus curling itself up to look like a coconut and then it scuttles across the ocean floor it's very cute <laughs> <laughs> well another favorite animal of mine uh, is well maybe it's not a favorite animal but the beaver Beavers have fascinated people forever. In fact, they almost wiped them out. In, yeah, making hats. Yeah, in Europe. But um, there are some interesting things about beavers. Uh, Joanne, did you have a beaver thing? Oh, I've got, <laughs> I've got a really good one. Can, I, can it be my turn? Yes, okay, yeah, Mary. <laughs> we had a dog named Ziggy, and she, we had just weaned her pups. And she was so sad. We went out in the woods to hike, and she... She took off into the creek and she came back with a little brand new baby beaver. And then a few minutes later, she took off in the creek and she came back with another brand new baby beaver. And of course, being raised by the family I was raised by, we kept the beavers and they nursed Ziggy. Oh my. And we have pictures of it and it made it into the newspaper and I can't remember which one. So yeah, Ziggy, Ziggy nursed those pups, beaver pups, and then they turned to pets. And we taught them to swim in the lake before we let them go. Which I'm getting some funny looks, but well, yeah, I, it was a true story. It's funny because I was wondering, I would think that the the milk of a beaver would have to be very rich, more than yeah. a dog. Because they think. have to, yeah, because they're in the water so much, they would have to have fat. Well, <laughs> I'm getting really funny looks from the well, queen, but these are the way I think. <laughs> Well, you know, beavers have these little scent sacks on the outside of them. Did y'all know that? No, no. Well, they were mistaken for a long time as testicles because these scent sacks are filled with something called castorium, which can be used, well, they treated all kinds of diseases with this. Now they use the castorium. It can be used as a vanilla flavoring, if you can believe that. I knew that. Uh, But so they thought, actually, the beavers, the male beavers' testicles are internal. They're not on the outside. But early hunters thought they hunted them for these little sacks, which they thought were beaver balls, but they really weren't (laughs) beaver balls. They were the little, and they thought the beavers like castrated themselves in order for the hunter not to kill them. And the castor beaver is the North American beaver, just for those that (laughs) wanted to know that. And they wiped them out in Europe. So the, the American beaver was, you know, there are lots of myths about animals that relate them to different behaviors. Yes. Like beavers are very industrious. And it's because of yeah. those big lodges they build. You know. And well, and that's another, when we, you know, when we went on vacation as a bunch of kids, we went camping a lot. And so one of the places we went was northern Maine. And we went primitive camping and there were no human beings for miles and miles except for me, my brothers and sisters and parents. Um, And we would find these beaver lodges and, you know, we'd watch the beavers. And of course, did you know that their teeth, their front teeth especially, continually grow? Yeah, they're orange. 
and they're they orange. have to gnaw to to knock them down. I think rats are the same way. Did I hear that? Um, but we would we would steal the logs from the the beaver lodge just to see the the marks in them from where the the beavers had gnawed them down. But yeah, they're fascinating, fascinating. And the door is always under the water so that no predators can come through the front door. In in one of my books, In the Truth About Animals, she really, she tries to send up animals that get a bad rap. And one of them is the sloth. (laughs) Have any of you seen a sloth? Yes, they're so cute. And there are several sloth reps Sloth, well, I can't think of the right word. Places that rescue sloths in Costa Rica, and you can go in yes. and see the baby sloths. Of course, they got an adjective named after them, but what They're about? So well, that's cute. when they were discovering them in you know Central and South America. The missionaries coming over, you know, were looking for you know a seventh deadly sin, and there they found it. And there they found the <laughs> sloth. But um, the missionaries are always looking for another deadly sin. <laughs> I know. But as as Lucy Cook said, she loves sloth. What's not to like about an animal born with a fixed grin on its face and a desire to hug? There you go. There you go. And only have two, is it two claws? There are two different kinds. Okay. There comes some with, some they call two-toed, but they actually have three. And then there's another kind. And one is nicer than the other. But they're pretty solitary. And they just hang out in the trees, but their coats are all covered in mosses and moss and things. So they're almost like an ecosystem in themselves. Because they are not a rolling stone, let me tell you. No, they have the slowest, I mean, real low metabolism. Mm -hmm. And they digest. They only come down from the trees to poop. Well, you don't want to be doing that. And it's only, well, it's so slow. It's only every like once a month or something. Oh, well, then, yeah, it's okay to come down. Um, well, well any, I, I was going to say another, another animal that we would run into in the main woods is the moose. And, you know, we would see them far off into the the ponds as we were looking. And, of course, we never got up and close. But my husband had the opportunity. He was doing business, and he would have to go to Maine occasionally. And he kept looking for moose. And he would look in the fields like he would look for, you know, at the, the edge of a forest, like he would look for deer here. And so I went and joined him. We had a little holiday. And he said, I've been wanting to find a moose. And he would looking in the field. I said, no, that's not where you find moose. I said, you look for them in the swampy areas and in the ponds. So we got out of the car and I said, look here, this is perfect moose territory. And sure enough, we find a big old moose paw print. And we're, we're on a, yeah, we're on a, a moose, we're on a moose hunt. And as I'm, as I'm getting closer and closer, I'm thinking, you know, honey, um, these animals are upwards of a thousand pounds, and they are like twelve feet at the shoulder. Let's go look for a moose from the car. No, <laughs> so we did not. Did you find your moose? We did not find a moose that day, but uh, something that the moose can do because they do feed underwater is they can close their nostrils, so they don't have to put their little moose hoof up there and you know hold your nose like you do when you jump in. They 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 can close their nostrils. Automatically, oh, yeah, that's like the hippo. Yeah, it can do some amazing things. And you know what animals the hippos are most related to? The whales. Oh, really? Yes. 
Well, you know, isn't hippo something Greek for horse? Water horse. Yeah, Water they thought horse. they were, yeah, they had a hard time figuring out. But that's the latest, is that they're related to whales. And just one other thing about the moose. For those of you that feel like, golly, I ate so much at Thanksgiving, um, they can store up to 100 pounds of food in their stomach. Ooh. Ooh. Talk about not being a little bloated. <laughs> I don't have a moose story, but my mother's nickname for me is and always has been Moose. Well, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she thought you were like Bowinkle. <laughs> Maybe. You should investigate that, Mary, after what I just said. <laughs> Well, here, or here's another fact that maybe that your mama was thinking about. They were born, moose are born knowing how to swim. Mm-hmm. So maybe you were just a little natural swimmer? I don't think so. I think it might have been that 100 pounds of food. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there are lots of myths about animals that if, like migration of birds. How did people used to think birds migrated? Did they, they didn't know that birds migrated. They just knew they disappeared. You know, and I don't know. Well, okay. one theory was that they were like just changed into something else. Ah, yeah. oh, you're talking about way long, way time ago. long time ago. Yeah. yeah. And another theory was that they went to the moon. Idea. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> and that was almost true, except they did go somewhere. But what made them really discover that birds migrate is this stork that landed in Germany, and it had a spear through it. And the spear was, it was speared by someone in Africa. Ah, fascinating. So they traced the spear back to somewhere in Central Africa and realized that that stork had migrated wow. with the spear in it. It was then okay. shot by someone in Europe. I was going to say, and how do you trace a spear back to Central Africa? Probably, what, eight, the, 1700s, 1800s. Do you put a sign up and say, is this your spear? On the internet? <laughs> you yes. see what kind of wood and stone it's made out of. There you mm-hmm. go. Yeah. Possibly. Possibly. And what, maybe if it was decorated? Well, perhaps. Yeah, well, there was a way they traced it, for sure. But, okay, other, or other animal stories. Have animals influenced your work? I want to back it to myths. myths okay, for I like Because okay. when I read that, I read it, I, we were talking about doing this podcast, and I saw it as myths that people are currently believing about animals. Okay, and good. Most, most everything people believe about snakes is a myth. And I'm not going to um, take the time to correct all those myths, except for one, they don't chase you. But again, I'm going to give another shout out to Mary. a Facebook group. No, no, no. Hold your story. I'm not going to let you say that a snake chased you. All right. All right. And there's 14 <laughs> brothers and sisters. There's a Facebook group called Alabama Reptile and Amphibian ID and Education. And it is moderated by a man named Raymond Cor- Raymond Corey, and he is the best moderator on the planet because he doesn't make anybody feel stupid and he doesn't let anybody say anything bad. He just corrects the myths, and people learn to identify their snakes. Their motto is the difference between scary and beautiful is knowledge. And I frequently go on there and read and watch people's attitudes change, and they'll put up a picture of a snake, a banded water snake or something, and say, I'm so glad I joined this group because if I'd seen that snake two months ago, I'd have killed it. But now I've learned to identify and I've learned which snakes are harmful or harmless. And it's it's a fabulous group. So that's my second shout out of the day. Well, Mystic Mary knows that I really appreciate snakes because we would be overrun by little toads and little mice. But I did have um, an occasion where it was a copperhead and it probably was feeling threatened. Um, but it did jump at me. 
Didn't chase me. They will strike. Yeah. Yes. No, this is, it jumped a long way. <laughs> they can also shoot their venom. I was going to say, and I did run, so I didn't look back to see if it was chasing me. Well, our Mystic Queen has written a snake book. Yes. Oh, there's a, there's a mystic moment. I have. <clears throat> it was about a decay snake. That's not where one rots. It's a person's name, decay. Found the snake first, but my son Rivers found the snake in our compost bin and wanted to bring it inside. And I, of course, said, well, you should say no. And his father said, well, if you can have it for a day. So the snake escaped in the house, and you have to buy the book to find out the rest of the story. I always thought it was a decay snake because it was in your compost (laughs) where things were decaying. No, it's D-E-K-A-Y, I think. And you can get really good at identifying them. They're very common if you go to that Facebook group. Well, now that I've joined the podcast, I do have a favorite story about dogs. Ah, And my... One of my very favorite museums in Los Angeles is the Jurassic Museum. No, the Jurassic Museum of Technology, I think. And, uh, of course, there was no technology in the Jurassic period, so uh, you have to go to the museum to understand it. But they have an entire room of portraits of dogs, and they have the little brass light shining on the dog, maybe 20 in the room and it's all the dogs that were sent to outer space by the russians that never came back oh so that's one of my favorite rooms in the jurassic museum of technology (laughs) you have a favorite dog too i remember when lucky nun used to stay with you and bob and absolutely loved being there yeah lucky was our grandchild Mm -hmm. and um she was a perfect dog in many Mm -hmm. ways in that she was small and, and was house-trained. You can't ask for more than that. And didn't demand a lot from us. So Lucky she was loved to watch TV with the husband. So <laughs> she worked out fine. <laughs> she was a happy dog. I know a local myth. Um, growing up out in Russell County, I heard things, you know, that were kind of magical. And there was a belief out there. Well, well I'll just say this. It never rains in Jernigan. Like Auburn can be washing into Opelika and Columbus can be washing into Atlanta and they won't get a drop of rain out where my parents live. And um, people, locals out there believed that there was a rain dog in the sky that lapped the water up before it became rain. Oh, that's so they, a wonderful they story. would talk about the rain dog. They could even point to the rain dog, but I could never see the rain dog. But they'd say, there it is over Peter's mud hole. See it? Wow. And and I never could see the rain dog over Peter's mud hole. But sure enough, it lapped up the rain before it made it to Jernigan. (laughs) I'm going to go looking for rain dogs. I know. That's an idea. We're going to go look for rain dogs. Singing the Tom Waits song. Well, we have that lovely gallery called Raining Dogs. We do. Mystic Margie's work has been displayed. It's, It's in Dadeville, Alabama, and it's run by... Uh, a retired theater professor who is also a dog lover named Will York. And uh, he has five dogs and uh, a real dog lover, so he named his gallery. It's really a, a really nice art gallery. Dadeville, Alabama, right behind the courthouse. So just a plug for raining dogs, for sure. And so uh, if you're ever up at Lake Martin and are tired with the sun and the lake, you can go to Raining Dog and see some wonderful art. 
And a lot of my art concerns animals. I use a lot of animal imagery um, in my paintings. And um, I think you guys might, uh, you mystics, uh, lady mystics, might also have some stories about dogs, too, that you've shared in various books that we've published. I'm trying to think if I had one. I don't, I think I did talk about wild dog, brown dog, but... Marion, I don't even. Marion doesn't write about dogs. I was going to say you don't. I yeah. don't write about dogs, but um, I love dogs more than I, I don't. Yes, I you don't, do. I you love them more than humans. I don't share publicly <laughs> the things that matter the most to me. I guess that's the only way I know to sum it up. But, Margie, I was working on Mingley and the Five Circus Dogs, and we talked a long time ago about maybe making that a project one time. Yeah, but yeah. that the two of us would work on where Mingley and her Five Circus Dogs bring heal the the broken world and bring back imagination i think we need to do that for sure well guys okay other animal myths or animals in art music stories and film i was always fascinated by the fact you know since we're talking about dogs you know most people think that dogs only see in black and white but it's not true. Not true. They do see color, and they do see grays, um, and they can recognize several colors, but just like we can't see as well as an eagle, a dog cannot see color as well as humans do. And so they see different shades of the spectrum, but they, they have the things, okay, maybe I'm going to get a little too technical, but the things in your eyes, if you remember from your biology class are rods and cones and they identify color for you and dogs just don't have as many as we do so they don't see the bright reds and the bright greens but they do see you know blues and but little so star, do some men little they don't star have those. saw red because she would um pick tomatoes oh and she would pick camellias she would anything growing in my yard that was red little star would walk over and pick it because I remember getting in touch with a camellia expert online one day to find out if camellias were poisonous to dogs. Because little, I would go out and Little Star would be standing on her back legs picking red camellias. Was Little Star the dog that picked the baguette yes. from our food one night at yes. a mystic meeting and took it in the back room to eat? Yes. <laughs> and, we, and, and I called you real quick and we were in there bent double right. as, as she held the baguette. Yes. <laughs> Gail's looking at us funny because we had to keep that a secret from her that the dogs had gotten hold of our food. Our baguette that Margie had brought from Atlanta. <laughs> Did we eat it? Was it red? <laughs> we, we gave I think it we to got, Gail. We got it away from her, and we ate just the part that she didn't have her paws and her teeth on. Yeah. That yeah. was clean. Or dog spit. If you don't eat yeah. the part that has dog spit on it, but, it's you know, right. I read a really fun book about dogs and their sense, and I can't remember the name of it, which is very unprofessional of me, but they see in a different number of frames per second, which explains why they can jump up and catch those balls that we can't catch. And it also explains why they can see plasma TV so much better than they, they can see, see regular TV, TV yep. which just cracks me up because I've noticed one of my dogs in particular very, very interested in the television these days. Yeah, and that's, that's true. Dogs could never see television as we could. Well, I just I got a new book by Dave Barry that I haven't finished reading yet, but it's um, it's about his dog Lucy and it's things he learned from his dog Lucy. I love like, Dave Barry. You know, seven things I've learned from her, and you know one of them is um, like you know Lucy never meets a stranger, you know. And he said even though I do speaking tours and everything, 
I don't really like people. <laughs> and, you know, and so, you know, he's trying to be more like Lucy as he gets older. So I, I think that'd be a good, a good recommended book. I have a quote from Walt Whitman that I managed to work under every uh, exam I ever gave in American literature so that my students would have to read it. And it pretty much sums up my feelings toward animals. Would you like for me to share it with the listeners? Okay, it's part of Leaves of Grass, but it's a very short passage. Whitman says, I think I could turn and live with animals. They are so placid and self-contained. I stand and look at them and long. They do not sweat and whine about their condition. They do not lie awake in the dark and weep for their sins. They do not make me sick discussing their duty to God. Not one is dissatisfied. Not one is demented with the mania of owning things. Not one kneels to another, nor to his kind that lived thousands of years ago. And if we could all practice that, we might be happier campers. Oh, much. Oh, wait, camp. Well, I do have one thing to say about writing about dogs is one of my favorite magazines, Garden and Gun magazine. I particularly like the garden part of the the magazine, maybe not the gun so much, but every issue, which is every other month, there's only six issues a year. And if you're busy, that's good because that's all you have time to read. But they always have a story called Good Dog. And oh, it's always sad. It's it's always well, like, usually like everything. Yeah. It has an end. Yeah, they are using excellent writers in this magazine. They are. I believe they published our friend Blair Hobbs' story that she wrote about her dog Lurleen in the collected. They had they made a book of some of the collections of those stories. In fact, I know they did. Wonderful. Yeah, we need to get that book. I know, and just redact it. All the, I redact all the sad parts for Mary, and I bless her heart. But the, another, a little bit off of um, dogs, but not really, is about wolves. And one of the myths that everybody thinks is that the alpha wolf fights to get that position, when actually wolves just pick the smartest dog, the oldest dog, the wisest dog. And when that wise dog um, dies then the next oldest dog steps into that alpha position. So I think, you know, maybe we should have a little more. We should have more respect for our elders. For sure. (laughs) Now that we're elders. Well, only if they're wise. Yeah. Well, apparently, (laughs) the oldest, after, I guess, living life as they do, the oldest in the wolf pack is always the wisest. So, and it is the male, unfortunately. It is always the male that is the the alpha. Well, I I can't share, because I've been warned my stories about hyenas, um, because, um, well, our queens thought it might be a little bit pornographic, but I recommend <laughs> that you read up on them because they're pretty fascinating. As they are a matriarchal society, I will say that. And hyenas are not really dogs. They are more related to the, um, I think they're more related to like the porn mon- stars. M- porn star. Mongoose. <laughs> well, drag queens for sure, no. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Mongoose. Maybe the mongoose and the and the uh, or, or maybe no, I may have that confused, but they're not they're not totally a dog. They might be more like a cat. They're 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 
a fascinating species. And there are several kinds of hyena, but that's all I'm going to say about them. But I would like for our listeners to look up hyena and learn how <laughs> interesting they are. Animal bites. Well, one of the things, uh, many years ago, I wrote an introduction for a book mm-hmm. for somebody at the vet school on working dogs. And I don't know if the book was ever published or not, but I did the introduction. And when I was doing research for that introduction, I came across the information that every person of science I know has said is absolutely untrue, but it makes perfect sense to me. And that is that while most dogs came from wolves, some dogs came from bears, and, that, if, oh. and you look, if you look at a lot of dogs, they look like bears, but it just sends Mary into orbit. It sends me into orbit right every now. Time, if y'all can see me squirm. Every time <laughs> I bring that up, but I honestly did find that. I mean, it might be wrong information. We're surrounded by wrong information every day. But when I was doing research for that book, I did come across a book that said that. Well, if you've ever grabbed a Doberman by the face and squiggled it behind the ears and, you know, said, I love you so much, it's going to look right back at you with a big bear nose. I mean, they look so much like bears. Well, uh, more so than Carl dogs. But we have DNA to tell us (laughs) the real story. And animals get reclassified all the time. And there may have been a time when they were stuck up there with bears, when folks were depending more on what things looked like. But well, that's must a lot of that answered now came from, with but DNA. Yeah, that's the thing about the hippo. And the new classification yes. is whale-like, like right. dolphin whale. And is the hippo the animal we were talking about at one point that's one of the strongest animals? Well, I did. I actually looked that up today. Um, I went to Africa once, and I got warned about all the dangerous animals as we hiked all over the, uh, the Mara. And we went to the hippo pond one day and were, were warned that the hippopotamuses were very aggressive. And I had gotten to be all of 19 years old and a young naturalist and not known that. But hippopotamuses kill more people in Africa than any of the large animals. Now, the mosquito, of course, is the number one killer. The Cape buffalo kills more poachers. So there you go. That if you want to pick them. the animal you want to be. That's what shot the guy. That's, I the, mean the, the, that's that the animal the I want to be. That was yeah. one of the questions. Oh, the yeah. cape buffalo. Cape, yeah. like he wears a cape. Yeah. Oh, okay. So one of our questions was, if you could come back as an animal, if you could be an animal, what animal would you be? And you would be the cape buffalo? The cape buffalo. I would be a cat of some sort, a wild cat, maybe a cheetah, maybe a tiger. I'm just like the the grace of them and the power and the I really don't care attitude. I would be Francis the talking mule. <laughs> <laughs> would you have Wilbur? I I loved Francis the talking mule. Or did Wilbur mule. have Mr. Mr. Ed, Ed never had, okay. never came close to Francis. Francis. And Francis actually was a girl and so was Mr. Ed. Really? Uh, Mr. Ed was well, a girl. Well, so we're more trainable. But I think wasn't both lassies boys? Did I hear that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the can tell. I would come back as my dog, Bernie Sanders. I was watching him today. He's the happiest little dog, and he's so friendly, and he never gets his feelings hurt. He asks for nothing. He's just exists. He's just a little avatar of pure goodness. Except when you walk away from him. 
Well, he's just trying to bring you back to the herd. Okay. No, that's not <laughs> he's, he's not the actual ankle biter. That's Petey. Petey oh, has the ankle biter. Bernie's, Bernie's just Sanders, pure, pure goodness and light. And he's so happy. If we could just bottle him up. I don't know if I want to be him all the time, but just for a day. I'd just like to be that Cape Buffalo so I could set a few things straight. <laughs> I, would, I, would, I want you to be one, Marion, and, and I'll... I'll be one with you. <laughs> I, I, I want to be, I, I think I'd like to be a crow. Oh, that would be nice to yeah. be a crow. Yeah, it's kind of spy on as people. As long as you weren't <laughs> a pecan orchard in the country. <laughs> and also be nice to fly. Oh, yeah. I mean, they hop around a lot, but they can fly, so. They can fly a long way. A small segue that, that, that relates back to books. My favorite book in the universe, which Gail Langley recommended to me, is called Mink River, and it's by oh, the recently yeah. deceased Brian Doyle. I love every single word he's ever written. And one of his main characters in Mink River is a crow, and I've never liked stories where the animals talk or where they anthropomorphize the animals. And he can have a main character be a crow without doing that. It's simply astonishing. That um, is a fabulous book. It is a fabulous book. And his other book, Martin Martin, is as fabulous. I'm not sure. I might have loved Martin Martin more if I'd read it first. But it doesn't matter. They're both so wonderful. And everything he's ever written is wonderful. Martin Martin as in the bird? No, the weaselly-like animal. Okay. Oh, like T-E-N. a T-E-N. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. the name Martin and the animal Martin. Martin, Martin. Okay. My, the first book that I recall about animals, and I don't read too many animal books, I guess. They're animals in the books, but was The Incredible Journey. And Love do y'all it. remember that? About Love it. The, yes. yes. And about, I've read it about 20 times. I know. And just, you know, that they were so loyal, so dedicated to getting home. You know, they could have booted that cat out any time. And then <laughs> Disney goes and makes a movie where the animals talk. And the beauty of that book is that they could express all of that just through what the animals were doing without turning them into little humans, humans. for goodness sake. (laughs) One of my favorite early books was The Adventures of Mabel. And it was a children's book, but Mabel finds, rescues this king of the lizards. She finds this lizard that teaches her this magic whistle that allows her to speak to animals. And so she just does this whistle and she tames the wildest horse and has birthday parties with wolves, but she can understand them and they can understand her by doing this whistle. Oh. And so I used to, when I was a little kid, just be looking for that lizard. Yeah. But, um, I never found him. <laughs> Dr. Doolittle. Exactly. Do y'all remember that thinking. movie oh, with the God. chambered nautilus? I read the books. Oh, I want to see that again and read the books again. The, the push me, pull you? Yeah. In fact, did you see the Mystic Katie is not with us because she is in Chile, but she sent a petroglyph, a picture of a petroglyph with a push me, pull you. Woo. <laughs> yeah. It was, it, she sent pictures of llamas, but on the side of a mountain, there were two llama heads. One was feeding, the other one was on the other end of the animal and looking away. And I thought, that's a push-me-pull-you. <laughs> I thought Dr. <laughs> Dr. Doolittle was the only one that knew that. Fascinating. Do, do you know those? Uh, oh, I, I, sh- I shouldn't bring it up because I can't remember the t- detective series, but she's a literary detective, and she, she solves literary crimes. People steal like the scripts to things, and she has to go back and oh. correct them. And she has a, she's able to time travel, and she has a pet dodo. 
Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> so that's a, my niece that lives in London recommended those stories to me. I'll look those up and bring that those is to it, you. Is it something like Outlander? Because somebody recommended something that sounded similar to that to me, but I can't remember the name of it. it is that, is no, it, it's, it's, it's some detective, uh, but... Well, I mean, I think this was a detective, too. I just can't remember the name, but it had a one-word name. Did yours? No, it had okay. a more than one-word name, okay. <laughs> but I can't remember what it was, but I'll look it up for, for sure to see. Well, other books about animals that I've enjoyed is like H is for Hawk by Helen MacDonald. Have you all read that? I mm-hmm. have not. Well, that's, a, that's a good recommendation uh, from me, for sure. Birds are just fascinating to me. As, w- as well as the rest of the animal kingdom, but that's why I want to be a crow. There you go. <laughs> well, one of the ones, and I know it's a children's book, but I still enjoy it, was The Jungle Book, mm-hmm. you know, by mm-hmm. Rudyard Kipling, and, and how the animals taught Mowgli, you know, all the things that he needed to know to be basically a human. So just a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Okay, so. guys. Oh, we all, okay. Well, just keep thinking about animals. <laughs> okay. Um, now, um, we are the Mystics, of course, and you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Mystic Order of East Alabama, and you can find the show on Twitter at the Mystics Pod and youtube.com slash the Mystics Pod. Okay. Drop us a line at the Mystics Pod at gmail.com. And that's Mystics with an S. Correct. Mm-hmm. And you can contact us directly to schedule readings or order our books, which are also available on Amazon. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. And remember, be, be the, the flame, flame, not, not the, the moth. moth.